The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. Hello, and this, if I remember correctly, is Media Talk, and I'm pretty sure I'm John Plunkett. The Leveson Inquiry continues in all its gory details, and this week it jogged the memories of former News International execs Andy Coulson and Rebecca Brooks. Your job, you tell us, is to hold politicians to account. Absolutely. How can you do that if they are a constant presence? Well, very easily, because you can find out quite easily what's going on and hold them to account for it. It wasn't a constant presence doesn't mean that you don't hold politicians to account. I think every journalist and every newspaper does that all the time on behalf of its readers. We'll try to join the dots on hazy lunches, half-remembered drinks parties and long-deleted text messages with our star guests Roy Greenslade and Dan Sabber. And we'll hear from our political columnist Tom Clark as Jeremy Hunt appears to have been landed in more hot water with a revelation of a new email. Also this week, we hear from Kenton Allen, the advisory chair for the Edinburgh International TV Festival and the programme's highlights for this year. Last week at the Leveson Inquiry, we had the Murdochs. This week, it was the next rung down the ladder at News International. Thursday saw Andy Coulson, former editor of News of the World and more recently David Cameron's chief spin doctor, while Friday saw former chief executive Rebecca Brooks take the stand. Roy Greenslade, what, what did we learn? Well, I don't think we learned much more than we knew, but I think it opens up all sorts of areas of possibilities, especially when the Prime Minister arrives to give evidence, because there were some dissimilarities in the memories of uh, Andy Coulson and Rebecca Brooks in relation to him. One clear difference was that we are led to believe by Coulson that that Cameron never spoke to him about hacking, or rarely did, if ever. Um, And it's quite clear from Rebecca's evidence that there was, that she spoke to him several times between 2009 and 2011. So he's got to answer questions about that. Anyway, you just, just, at the end of the day, on listening to some of that evidence, you kept thinking, as you've hinted in your intro, that there was fantastic loss of memory, as there was with the Murdochs too. And um, it, it it beggars belief that they can't remember many of these conversations, many of the details, and seem to be struggling so much. And overall, Everything you're going to remember about this evidence is uh, the two-word phrase, selective amnesia. And probably after today, lols as well, but perhaps we'll come back to that later. Uh, But Tom Clark, how will Number 10 be feeling after hearing all this? I don't think they'll have enjoyed it. Of course, they weren't expecting to enjoy it. But, you know, there were bits of detail there. You say lols, lots of love or laugh out loud, depending on... uh, whether or not Rebecca had got round to correcting Dave in, in, in its current meaning. And so, you know, the chummy intimacy, there was a reminder that there were three meetings between the Prime Minister and Brooks around Christmas 2010. Very sensitive time when the B Sky B bid is being considered and Vince Cable's just lost uh, the brief for not handling the hot potato with sufficient care of the idea that the Prime Minister's reassuring, oh, you know, the next man we've got looking at this is going to be fair where Vince wasn't. None of that looks good. But I think that the uh, most damning thing, probably, for Cameron, or the trickiest question he's got to answer, we shouldn't damn him until we've heard what he's got to say himself, 
is why it was he thought it was appropriate to uh, have a conversation with Rebecca Brooks about how News International was handling the phone hack inquiry, what its ramifications might be, but not to have a conversation with the man who was in his own employment, who he must have known could have brought the story to his own door. And also from the government, we had another email, well, a man who hasn't appeared at Levson yet, Jeremy Hunt, but uh, after 163 pages of uh, contacts between Fred Michel and the, uh, the Culture Department, we had an, uh, one more email today from Fred Michel, which uh, appeared to land Hunt in more hot water, although we must be aware that when Fred Michel says JH, he doesn't necessarily mean JH. Um, yeah, I mean, the, so the new um, uh, email is interesting. It's from just before, a week or so before the Millie Dowler story breaks, I think, and it essentially purports to be um, a claim that Michelle is been talking to Hunt or Hunt's advisor. We have to add in brackets about whether, sorry, about how the government and News International might see off a judicial inquiry into or inquiry of any sorts into this business. And he talks about, you know, committee strengthening its work and things we could do on privacy instead. So it's almost like the government, it looks like the government and News International are agreeing their strategy, agreeing their lines to take on how to kind of make this issue go away. A week later, of course, it didn't go away. It blew up because we learned that Millie Dowler's phone was tapped and the rest is history. But yes, one more question for the long line of questions that Mr Hunt's going to have to answer. Uh, Roy, today was meant to be all about uh, Rebecca Brooks and, and News International and their relationship with successive Prime Ministers, of Blair and then Gordon Brown and, and, and now David Cameron. What kind of light do you think it, it shed on that? I think the most astonishing thing when you think about it is that uh, this woman, either as an executive at News International or as editor of the News of the World, spent a great deal of time talking to uh, either Gordon Brown or Tony Blair or David Cameron, talked to our political leaders about policy stories and policies which, to be absolutely honest, never formed an nth part of the content of The Sun. Um, it was as if she was talking about working for the Financial Times rather than a red-top tabloid. And so there's this extraordinary business where they appear, on, on her words at least, to be regularly consulting her. She is eliciting information from them about these stories. And yet these don't form any part of the editorial agenda of the paper. Clearly, you can see what the trade-off was. She was getting a bit of an inside track, and that's extraordinary enough, but not, I think, too strange. But they're getting from her a, a, a feeling, if one reads her right, and that she is so much got her finger on the pulse of her readership, they're getting from her a feeling of what the public mood is and whether or not they can influence it through her, even in stories which are just slightly aligned to policy matters. So I thought her closeness to the whole political process, which was much more open, much more, uh, I, I think, uh, on, in evidence than that when Rupert Murdoch was talking, was hugely revelatory about the political process. And she also said, Roy, something I thought might interest you was that she, um, uh, the, whole, the whole Sarah's Law campaign, and she said, uh, it didn't have too many regrets, but she said she would have done something, some things differently about how the way, uh, the way it named uh, sex offenders, for instance. I thought that was tremendously interesting, actually. That whole section where she deals with Sarah's Law, she was much more feisty, sometimes testy, when she was dealing with that. Although I think, you know, it, she's right across the argument. 
But I've never heard her before back down about the business about the paediatrician. That was the person who was wrongly thought by people to be a paedophile. I've never seen her take that on board in quite that way. I've never heard her previously say, this was unusual, that she might have done some things differently. I mean, we didn't get to the fact that some of the people who she featured in the paper actually were wrongly identified, and at least one of them um, was, was uh, you know, got compensatory damages for that. But uh, she defended her, uh, her case as well as she could in the circumstances with, I thought, unusual hostility and antagonism from Robert Jay over the whole affair. Well, you mentioned Robert Jay there. Just finally, Tom, what did you think uh, uh, Rebecca Brooks suggested at the end? She'd been putting, he'd been putting a few trivial questions to her, like, did you go swimming with uh, Rupert Murdoch, for instance, which wasn't the most dynamic way perhaps to, to, to open his questioning or near the start of his questioning. What, what did you think of his performance, as, as Roy touched on there? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not a Jay kind of expert I, I i feel like there was a bit more color certainly than there was um with coulson yesterday partly because i felt like coulson was a very kind of guarded person you know answering asking questions like you might do on the phone to an insurance company being very very careful about everything and um rebecca was kind of taking a slightly more charming line with a bit of humor thrown in so maybe it invited a slightly different tack in terms of questions I, I i'm not sure but i think it may have been a part of a sign of fatigue on her part because at the beginning she was very very careful to be very polite and in general when you're um in court even if you're not as she wasn't in the dock uh, it's probably as well to treat the um counsel and, and the judge as respectfully as you can and how about you roy uh, what, what do you think when i ask you to give marks out of 10 but how did it compare he seemed to get uh, uh, sort of good notices for the way he um tackled the murdochs last week uh, yeah, I mean, I think that um, they've got a really difficult and strange job, to be honest. Um, they're not in court, uh, but they are allowed to interrogate. But the witnesses run away with themselves in a way that they could never do in court. They just bring them back to the line. And you could see that sometimes he does do that. Um, to be absolutely honest, I think the marks would go to Andy Coulson and to Rebecca Brooks. Um, if anyone wants to know why they rose so swiftly in life uh, to see positions. I think you could see it in their performances. I thought they were both calm, both composed, both on top of their brief. And I thought that, to be honest, uh, Robert Jay and Lord Justice Leveson really never laid a paw upon them. OK, well, Roy Greenslade and Tom Clark, many thanks. Well, earlier today, I caught up with our media and tech editor, Dan Saber and asked him for his take on the day's proceedings. So, Dan, what did you make of Rebecca Brooks's performance this morning? What an intriguing morning. Twitter loves it. We've got you know lots of page views on the website for the live blog. Everyone's fascinated by it. And it's these just these little personal details. There's almost the texture of our relationship with David Cameron or Rupert Murdoch that keep coming up. That are really what's interesting people. Uh, uh, what's got everyone going is this. You know how, how was it? She was asked. You know how was it? Did the Prime Minister sign off his text to you? Uh, 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 how was it? Did you sign the text uh, to him? And she says, well, he would sign the text LOL, uh, which he thought meant lots of love, and turns out. She, she thought meant laugh out loud, so he sort of had to correct that. Uh, 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 you know, and you could see that Robert J almost wanted to ask, but the judge wasn't really going to have it. Uh, uh, you know, did he put kisses at the end of the text? Did he put little X's? But uh, that was clearly felt to be just a little bit too intrusive. But uh, in one sense, that's a minor detail. But in another sense, that goes to the, the heart of the relationship between the politicians and media that, that the inquiry is trying to get at. That's exactly right. And I think 
uh, uh, when you, in a way, what Brooks is doing is sort of trying to put a very calm sort of uh, uh, face in a relationship with politicians and saying, look, you know, it's my job, in effect, to sort of, you know, get close to politicians, campaign for readers, stand up for readers. That's why the sun changed sides. That's why we said what we said about, uh, uh, you know, Madeleine McCann, why we asked the Prime Minister to sort of reopen the inquiry into into the Madeleine McCann case. So, you know, that, on that sense, it all looks like perfectly legitimate journalising, so to speak. But the issue is here, is did, the, did the politicians get too close to the press? Is there too much intimacy? And when you see the sort of the dinners at Chequers or, uh, you know, David Cameron's coming round to the Brooks's family home on the 23rd of December 2010, at a crucial moment, the sky bid, James Murdoch has a few words of them, all above board, we're assured, all above board, a few words of them about the sky bid. It's just that sort of intimacy of contact. Oxfordshire dinners, Oxfordshire meetings, text messages, uh, and a whole range of communications. I mean, um, Rebecca Brooks is saying that her and David Cameron were texting maybe once or twice a week on average, which is, uh, uh, you know, pretty sort of close contact, I think, from a from a, a business, what was technically, she was technically, what, a chief executive of a company and uh, and a prime minister. I'm sure the boss of BP or Barclays Bank or, uh, doesn't enjoy that level of access. And there were three meetings over Christmas 2010, which is more than we previously knew about. Yeah, well, there seems to be a sort of a meeting or something and Boxing Day, a kind of or sort of, they sort of pass through the same mulled wine and mince pies party at uh, Rebecca's sister-in-law's and the Camerons were there. So, I mean, 2010 was just seemed to be a time when they were all in each other's pockets. And, you know, it must not be forgotten that this was a time that, you know, it was a crucial moment in the sky bid. Vince Cable had just been dumped off it. It had been covertly recorded, declaring war on Murdoch. Jeremy Hunt had come in. Ofcom's producing this really important report uh, 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 to go to the Secretary of State deciding now Hunt and that was due well it came through on the 31st of that month so any day now good word in the Prime Minister's ear at that point I think well you know something that a business might well want to uh, want to have and there was no shortage of messages of condolences from Downing Street uh, and elsewhere in government when uh, when Rebecca Brooks resigned uh, yes, there certainly were no shortage of messages of condolence. I think there was one from Tony Blair as well, who was uh, still a friend. Uh, what also came out was the sort of rupturing of her relationship with Gordon Brown. And, and what's interesting here is that, if you like, Brooks is sort of continuing what she'd sort of relationship had. She had a very good relationship with Blair, a good relationship with Brown until they switch sides, and then it completely breaks down. And Brown is very, very angry about it in phone calls, and she portrays this sort of rather vengeful, aggressive, nasty prime minister, and then. Was switching to this sort of, you know, Oxfordshire intimacy with uh, uh, with with David Cameron uh, thereafter. So, you know, she's able to sort of talk extraordinarily, if you like, with sort of the intimate intimate relationships with with three successive prime ministers. And again, there aren't many people who could do that. But being editor of the Sun and chief executive of News International certainly made it possible. Uh, uh, so, you know, is that an example, if you like, of newspapers getting too close to politicians? I think so. One point that Robert Jay, counsel for the inquiry, keeps returning to is whether newspapers expected favours in return for political support. Uh, and he's always suggested that it's, it's much more subtle than we'll do this in return for that. But it's, it's proving very difficult for him to prove, to pin down with successive witnesses. I think this is a sort of, uh, uh, this is a very interesting point and a very interesting point of debate. debate. What is clear, and I think you'd be very naive if you thought this, was there's, no other, there's not really a, you know, there's a bit of paper that says you'll do this, I'll do this and you'll do this. And there's never... You 
you never have that conversation out directly or crudely. You know, if my newspaper supports you, you'll be kind. You'll look kindly on my business interests thereafter. Uh, it, it's not how life at the highest levels works. But what does work is it's the old journalistic trick. It's the old trick in public relations in politics. Is if we all become friends, it will just be harder for us to be mean to each other if we ever had to take a tough decision. Uh, uh, it, it means that the sort of the 50-50 calls will go our way. Uh, you know, when you're sort of going around to, you know, you, you want to go back to dinner again or you want to be flown out to Santorini, which is where David Cameron was sort of flown out to, you know, this sort of conversation with Rupert Murdoch about Europe and the Euro. Or, you know, you, you know, you want to go to sort of dinner in Oxfordshire. So you don't want to sort of break with people in your social circle. Who wants to do that? And uh, she offered up more detail and, and more flavour, to use one of the words that keeps coming up in the inquiry, than, um, than Andy Coulson did yesterday. Andy Coulson was a sort of masterclass in, in, in discipline. You can tell he wasn't a Prime Minister's Director of Communications for nothing. Sat very, you know, very straight, very erect, hands clasped in a believe-me pose, great economy, short answers, hard work for, for print journalists, very few quotes. You know, Rebecca's giving us loads of quotes in colour by contrast. But Andy, very hard, very spare. I think people struggled. You can see the papers, they're kind of struggling to sort of work out what the story was. But nevertheless, he said some interesting things. And he was very interesting when he talked about how he was hired, which is just George Osborne was basically kind of desperate to reel him in. It was a sort of softest interview from, you know, imaginable from Andy Colson's point of view. He arrived sceptical and I think ended up half convinced. Uh, uh, and how little sort of effort they made to kind of check him out. So I think David Cameron asked him casually a question about his knowledge of phone hacking and Colson said, I sort of know what you know, you know, about Goodman and Mulcair. Uh, uh, you know, that was in 2007 when he was hired. And according to Andy Colson, he was never asked again. And as the allegations about hacking mounted, the Guardian in July 2009, and the New York Times in September 2010, and civil cases and so on and so forth, none of this seemed to sort of trouble the Prime Minister enough to ask Andy Colson, at least on Andy Colson's account. And, and that looks... Well, in retrospect, it looks recklessly incurious, but certainly incurious, and certainly I think a judgment question for the Prime Minister in that respect, especially seeing as we learned today from Rebecca Brooks that Cameron at one point, she did say somewhere in 2010, can't remember when, can't remember where, they talked about uh, uh, phone hacking and, and the Prime Minister was asking her for background information or whatever the, moment, the, the, the news of the moment was, something to do with civil cases, she thought. And just separately on Rebecca Brooks, it turns out she thinks most Sun readers are pro-BBC, which might be a surprise to Kelvin McKenzie. I think that'll that put a smile on our faces. But 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 look, I mean, she must mean. I mean, they like loving BBC. They like watching BBC programs. Like I don't know, The Voice or whatever it is is the flavour of flavour of the month. Um, but it was an interesting thing to say, and we must remember that quote. It will be worth sort of digging up sometime. Maybe some readers don't read all the all, all the articles about BBC policy or the license fee that pop up now and again. Which is, I mean, you know, how dare they? Dan Sabah there talking to me from the Royal Courts of Justice. Now, later this year, the Media Guardian and many other people besides will be decamping to Edinburgh for the 37th Annual TV Festival. Earlier this week, I caught up with the advisory chair, Kentner Allen, Joint Chief Exec of Big Talk Productions. I asked him what we can expect. It's early days, John. It's early days. Obviously, uh, the Liz Murdoch McTaggart is going to be a highlight, much anticipated. But putting that to one side, I think Celebrity Juice live on stage with... uh, the great and the good of the world of TV should be a highlight. It might be a low light. And assorted TV execs, foolish enough to take part. Uh, assorted TV execs, brave enough and bold enough and creatively confident enough in their own ability to take part. I think uh, Charlie Brooker and Catelyn Moran in conversation should be a cracker. I think Steve Levitan, creator of Modern Family, is coming to the UK. This is a man who's created a show which regularly outrates 
uh, American Idol. Over 16 million people watch Modern Family in the US and all around the world. So I think that will be a, a masterful insight into, the, into how you pull that off in such a difficult uh, genre and how you make such a massive hit. You know, things like Educating Essex, the game behind that coming up, a Sherlock masterclass, uh, a really fascinating session about Homeland and how Homeland, you know, came from an Israeli format called Prisoners of War, so the, t- the original Israeli team behind that came to the festival. And a sneak preview of Doctor Who. A sneak pe- preview of Doctor Who, uh, a sneak preview of the new Frank Spotnitz uh, BBC One drama series called Hunted. Frank was a hugely influential writer on The X-Files, so that's it, terribly exciting. Dragon's Den at the festival. Evan Davis and uh, Duncan Ballantyne especially to be announced TV Dragons uh, so what are the themes for this year first of all what are the, what are the overarching what's the big picture well I think the, the big picture is creativity I mean, it's, 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 I'm not saying that creativity hasn't been at the heart of the festival in the past but I think this year it's particularly about the, a focus on creative leadership and creative leadership in all, all its various um, uh, cloaks so you know there's a new director general arriving at the BBC that is probably the biggest creative leadership job in the country Channel 4 is at its 30th birthday, a big crossroads creatively. How do you leave that organisation uh, forward and, and keep it rebellious and, and mischief-making in its sort of middle age through to the, the likes of Stephen Moffat and Steve Levitan and Ruth Jones and Charlie Brooker talking about how they do their day job, which is being creative in uh, uh, all its many guises. So I would say what I want to do is put creativity back at the heart of the festival and you should turn up, be inspired, learn something and go away, I would hope, from Edinburgh, falling back in love with television. And you mentioned the DG there. Are you leaving a, 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 a situation vacant sign over a session on Saturday morning, say? Uh, there will always be... There will be a DG session and there is an open invitation to the next Director General of the BBC to come to Edinburgh. I think it's a remote possibility that he will want to come and um, tell us what he's thinking of doing uh, in August if he only gets the job June-July, or she gets the job June-July, but uh, we'd love to see the new DG in Edinburgh in August. And you mentioned Liz Murdoch as well. Uh, she'd be the first woman to give them a tag for 17 years, which um, Elaine Bedell, ITV's Elaine Bedell, and also a key figure at the festival, said, I think she said it was a disgrace. Uh, it's for her to say it was a disgrace or not. It's, 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 uh, it's a bit... Not, not that Liz is here, but the fact <laughs> it's been 17 years, we should it's remiss, add. It's remiss, isn't it? It's remiss. I'm not saying that my colleagues have done this job in the past of, of being remiss, but it is slightly odd that we haven't managed to find a woman to give that uh, keynote speech in the last 17 years, and I'm delighted that Liz is doing it. It's obviously... A very big year for her, and um, she's very bold and brave to be doing it. Kent and Alan there. Well, that's all we have time for this week. My thanks to all my guests, Roy Greenslade, Tom Clark, Dan Saber, and Kent and Alan. You can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall. I'm John Plunkett, and Media Talk was produced by Phil Maynard. Thanks for listening. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.